The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right, well, we have been talking over the last couple weeks so far about end-time events, prophecy and end-time events. And last week, I think, is we kind of ended and mentioned that uh, several big pieces of these end-time events. And I just kind of want to look at what is the question. I think the question is, what is the next event that is going to take place? What is the next big event that's going to take place that starts this next period in God's time frame? And we can look back in history and we see that God had time frames for things. Now we need to understand, first of all, that according to scriptures, it says that we are already currently living in the last days. And, you know, you can read that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it talks about these perilous times will come because the increase of evil in humanity will be on the rise. And we're, of course we're seeing that. I love the... I like reading uh, out of different translations, uh, different areas of the Scripture. And if you ever have time, just take in, if you have version, just bring up version and put in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and just start reading it out of a bunch of different translations. It'll just really give some insights into what it means about men being lovers of themselves, um, covetous, boasters, blasphemous, right? And it really has a lot, of good, uh, a lot of good words that help us think through what that looks like. And we know that that's on the rise. But, so we're living in the last days, but these aren't the, I don't know how you say it, these aren't the last of the last. Because there's, there's coming a time frame which is called the end of time that we know from Scripture that is speaking about. And there's a lot of, a lot of thoughts out there about all that, and if you take God and the Bible out of it, there are really a lot of craziness things going out there. But the beauty, again, about having looking at prophecy and end times from whose perspective? God's perspective. Why God's perspective? Well, if God created the heavens and earth and all that's in them, and He's got a timetable for man, and He's walking them through, then I think I want to know what He has to say about it instead of somebody in Hollywood telling me it's going to be a zombie apocalypse. I think I want to know from Jesus what He says about what He has created and how He is managing and leading and guiding His creation. And so, what will the end, when will the end come, and what will the signs be? And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, the disciples ask Jesus this very question. We want to know about this. And in Matthew, if you have your Bibles, chapter 24, verses 5 through 14, say this. Saying, well, many are going to come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. 
such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now notice these words. He says, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Then verse 9 says, then you'll be handed over and persecuted to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, just think about this. There's a lot of this that's already transpired. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then verse 14, it says, and then this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now in Matthew chapter 24, as you kind of read through, if you read through that whole chapter, in verse 21, it, Jesus speaks about this end time, and he uses this, in my mind, he uses this term to speak of it as a great tribulation that will come upon the earth and its inhabitants. And, and he says this about that. He said, "Is such as has not occurred. So this great tribulation will be such as has not occurred from the beginning of the world until now and never will be again. So in other words, whatever is going to come happen, it's like it's going to be a once, a once in a eternity thing is going to take place. And in Matthew chapter, um, uh, I, 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 Matthew chapter 21, uh, verse 21, about this great tribulation that's never going to happen again, I, I, I picked out this. I'm trying to remember what translation it was. But it says, there will be more trouble than has ever happened ever since the beginning of the world, and nothing as bad as it will ever happen again. So when thinking about what's the next trigger to what's the next domino so to speak to fall or what's the next event let me let me do this first let's start by looking at tribulation and in my mind now i've said this before and hear me clearly i'm not telling you that i'm an expert on prophecy and in time events but i think again what we're trying to accomplish is really what are the big pieces that are out there and what really has God said about those big pieces? Because when you get into all the little details of it all, then that just really gets fuzzy for a, for a lot of people when you're trying to figure it out. And again, I've studied this for years, had it all packed away in my head, didn't touch it for a lot of years. Now I'm trying to, it's like, oh my goodness, sweep away the dust and try and put all this together again. And I, it can get overwhelming to do. But I think that it's not when you look at big pieces. When you're looking at the big pieces, trying to figure it out. Some people are trying to figure out every little detail about who it is, where it is, what it is. And I'm not knocking any of that. I just know when I read broadly there uh, across all the details of end-time events, there's, there's, it's spattered all over the place. And for us as believers... There are the things that are mysteries that we will not know. There are symbolisms and allegories that some of them we can figure out and some of them we may not never know. Matter of fact, I think last week I spoke, it, it was in Daniel. He says, now Daniel, I'm not going to tell you what that all means. It'll come out in the end. 
And so let's not get caught up in it. I think the main thing we need to understand for us is that God is trying to encourage us to say, look, um, I've, I've, I've got this, I've got this, and it is rolling out the way that I have determined it will roll out. What you need to have comfort in is that I've got this. So, for me, when you look at the word tribulation, I believe that there are, it's used in three big categories. The first one has to, has to do with the trials and tribulations that Christian believers suffer throughout the church age as a result of them identifying with Jesus. So we know the scriptures, you know, John 16, uh, You know, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Paul said in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Second term of tribulation that I think applies to something that Jeremiah talked about in Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 6 talking about the time of Jacob's trouble and then lastly I believe that there is this tribulation that applies to these end time events this great tribulation that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24 so when we think about tribulation and we're looking at this end time event, now some believe that um, some don't, some see the timelines as different. But it's pretty specific that Jesus identified this particular period of time as a time of great tribulation. And there's two aspects uh, in this great tribulation that God is going to do. Now, there's a lot of things, but just if I were to put big pieces out there, he's going to complete the discipline on the nation of Israel and fulfill his covenant with them. And he's going to judge all the unbelieving and all the ungodliness and all the ungodly inhabitants of the earth. Two big pieces. And again, there's a lot you could throw in there. Now, for me... The length of the tribulation, according to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27, is a seven-year period. And others don't look at it that way. For me, that's what I'm telling you. What I'm seeing is that there is this time period at the end of time that is going to take place. And in Daniel's prophecy, he says it's going to be a seven-week period, and there's, which when you look at the prophecy, most believe it's seven years. A lot of people believe a lot of different things about it. I'm not going to tell you what everybody else believes. I'm going to tell you what I kind of hang on to. And again, I kind of like my professor, uh, my theology professor. Hey, some things are just going to go the way they're going to go, and they might not go the way that I think. So I just want you to know, when we get down to the end of it, I'm good with whatever God does. I'm not going to argue. If, if, if God doesn't do it the way that I want, I'm not taking my marbles and going home. I'm going to go, oh, okay, didn't see that one coming. All righty then. See, what we need to get through all of this, no matter what anybody says about any of it, God's got this. 
So we should be able to find real comfort in the Scriptures concerning what God has said and some that we can understand and some that we might not understand. God's got this. I always like the way uh, time tells the truest story, right? How many of us are going to be sitting around in glory going, whew, that was awesome! Not quite how I thought, but that was awesome! In my own life, since I've been living for the Lord, so many times uh, stuff had come, and I'm reading, like we all do, you know, we read in Scripture and God's promises that He's going to protect and defend us, and we go through what we don't think is Him protecting and defending us, and we get to the other side of it, and we go, that was awesome. Look what God did. And so this is kind of where this whole series of messages where I'm trying to get us to look at. Yes, there are the big pieces. Yes, there are the things that are clear. And yes, there are the things that, you know, maybe not so clear. So, in my mind, this tribulation period is seven years. And, but in this tribulation period, the last three and a half years of this tribulation period are worse than the first three and a half. And it is where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, he says, then there will be great, a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now and never else shall be. And in these verses, I believe Jesus is referring back to 20, chapter 24, verse 15, where he describes the revealing of the abomination of desolation spoken of, which he says specifically here by Daniel. And what was that? It was when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with the world halfway through this seven-year period, or in the middle of the week, we are told this man will break the covenant that he has made, and he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering, and at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Now, reading a little bit further in Daniel, in chapter 12, verse 11, he says, from the time, speaking of this, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days, or right at three and a half years. So in Daniel's prophecy, uh, he speaks about a future ruler that will make a treaty with the people of Israel, or the world, depending on how you read it. The terms of the treaty that he makes after three and a half years of making it, he's going to break. And then this ruler will gather his troops and put an end to the sacrifice and offerings in the temple. Because my reading through Scripture is that this temple will be rebuilt. Not what it is today. And then at that time, this ruler will desecrate the temple, setting up some type of sacrilegious object. I think it's in Titus he says that he will proclaim himself as God. And then lastly, the desecration of the temple will continue until the judgment of God is fully meted out on the ruler and his followers, which in my understanding is a three and a half year period. Which when you read through this, in my mind, a portion, not, I, and I didn't go, I'll, I'll back up at some point, maybe I'll bring this forward, at some point we're going to see that this is Jesus is talking about these events in the book of Revelations. Now, 
as you read through Matthew chapter 24 and the disciples asking about these and the signs that are coming, in Matthew chapter 9, or uh, uh, 24 verses 24 through 29, Jesus says this to his disciples. He said, now immediately after the tribulation of those days, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now, in these passages, we see this tribulation period and this great tribulation, and we see the revealing of what Daniel spoke about, this abomination of desolation, to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the question is, now for us, uh, will the church go through the tribulation? And there's just a lot of theories out there. I'm going to talk about uh, next week a little bit more. And when you look at it, so you look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and I'm not going to right now, but I am going to talk about that. Um, I, I got to thinking about this, and I, I looked at verse, if you look at chapters 7 and 8 of Daniel, and Daniel sees these visions of four beasts that represent the successive nations that will follow from Babylon through Rome to present day, I believe, to a nation that will come against God and his people, but then he will be defeated. But if we, if we, and, and so Daniel asks this question, so Daniel has these visions about four beasts, then at the end there's two, and then there's one that's dominant, and he's going, okay, I'm not wrapping my head around this, I'm a little bit confused, can you give me a little clarity? That's my interpretation of his prayer. But he prays, hey, what, what? I don't understand this. And so he asks the question, when's this all going to take place? And so what he does is he go back to the scroll, to the book of Jeremiah. And he, he, he consults the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah, and he reads that 70 years were determined upon Israel. They were going to be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And so Daniel's, you know, he's counting up. He's going, well, we're getting pretty close to the end of this time. So he asked God, will you fulfill your promise? And an angel of the Lord comes to him and says this, basically. Um, Israel's sin and rebellion has still continued. And so their time of trouble will continue seven times longer. 490 years to be precise. And so when you look at Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 through 27, it says that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people in your holy city. So now a question comes up, is he talking about us, thy people? It's an interesting question that we got to process. The fun thing about all this is it just, it's always challenging. We're constantly saying, okay, Lord, I just really need a little bit more clarity about that. So a quick take, my take and others, a quick take on Daniel 9, chapter 24, verse 27, indicates that there's going to be a decree to rebuild the temple to the coming to the death of the anointed one, which is Jesus, which when you add the weeks up are 69 weeks. 
or if you put it into years, 483 years, and if you were to look back from the time that Cyrus decreed that the temple would be rebuilt until the crucifixion of Jesus is for about 483 years. Now, that's interesting because just how everybody does the numbers, but in that time frame. So in my mind, and looking at that, I see that 69 weeks have been fulfilled. And the 70th week, about what Daniel is talking about, when you look at Daniel 9.27 and the specifics, I don't see that has happened necessarily. Now, a lot of people would say, well, you, you, you really need to understand this allegorically, and it's, it's a spiritual content. And I am, well, okay, I guess if I went that way, I might, that might float, but I don't really know. That's not really where my head is. That's not really what I'm, my thoughts are leaning toward. So, in my mind, there is this seven-year period of Daniel's prophecy that still needs to be fulfilled, which I think is in the future. And some people say, well, you know, that's, that it's really a week and seven years. It's, you know, maybe not. And, you know, they say a lot about the, the time and times and half a times. There are all kinds of stuff out there about the time frames. But for me, I think that ultimately what Daniel's prophecy talks about and the restoration and the fulfillment of righteousness, if it's happened, I'm not really happy about that right now. Because I, for me, I can't see it. I can't see that God has set the world right. I see that God is setting the world right, but I don't necessarily see that. When I read through the book of Revelations, I don't see all these things taking place. Surely we haven't gone to heaven, have we? And surely he hasn't come back, put his foot on the Mount of Olives. He hasn't defeated the nations. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well... Uh, there seems to be this 69 weeks have been fulfilled and one week yet left to be filled. And I know that there's a, a lot of perspectives out there about these things, but let me, let me just kind of give you a perspective. And let's look at, we can do this with, we could do this with Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Matter of fact, when you take the whole of Scripture, you could, you could, what I'm about to say, you could probably fit in an in a overarching category concerning the whole of Scripture. So if you look at the book of Daniel and these prophecies that he had taken place, uh, you can see that the book of Daniel really it, it encourages faithfulness to God despite difficulties. Uh, because God is the rescuer, and God will rescue. And so when you look at it, you look at chapter 1, and just Daniel going to Babylon, and he's, kept, he's captured, he's taken, they, wanna, they see he's wise, and he's got these other friends of his that seem to be superior above others, and they're going to set them apart, and they're going to feed him from the king's table, and Daniel is going, yeah, no, uh -uh. I need to stay true to the law. I need to stay true to God even in the things that I eat. So he didn't want to participate in having food from the king's table because it wasn't what he was to have. 
And then in chapter 2 and 6, it shows faithfulness on the part of God's servant despite persecutions that come. And we see in chapter 3, we see the deal with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They won't bow down to the king. And so what happens to them? They're thrown into a fire. What happens in the fire? Do they get torched? No. Not a thing happened to them in the fire God delivered. And then we see in Daniel chapter 6 where the other wise men were jealous of Daniel and they tried to trick him. And they said, um, hey, this guy's praying when you said he shouldn't pray to anybody else. And so the king asked, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm doing what I always do. I pray to my God, the God. And so what happens? He gets thrown into what? A lion's den. What happens in the lion's den? Is he lunch meat? No. He, he doesn't get bothered at all because why? He was faithful to God. And even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, hey, if I die, I die. But, and, and you know, this is the fun thing. Not fun thing. They could have gotten cooked. He could have gotten eaten. But he didn't. But th their heart was. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm going to stay true to God. And what did God do? God delivered. And then when you look at chapters 7 and 8, like I referred to earlier, it kind of reveals the need of patience for us, a believer, until God brings His kingdom and rule over the earth and vindicates His people. And then verses um, uh, 7, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, where was that? Oh, chapter, um, actually chapter 2, and verses 7 and 8 reveal this need of patience until God brings His kingdom and rule over our world and vindicates His people in their suffering. In chapter 2, we, see the, we, we, uh, we read the vision that Daniel had concerning this big image, and then we understand the interpretation of this great image, the head of gold, the chest of, of silver, the thighs of brass, the legs of iron, and the toes of iron and clay that that were representative of successive kingdoms that would come to the earth. And then at the end of it, there would be a rock cut out of a mountain and would hit the image at his feet and would crush it. And this rock cut out of the mountains would be established in the earth. And we understand that as God's kingdom ultimately coming to rule and reign over earth. And then in chapter 7 and 8, this vi these visions that, that, that Daniel has concerning these beasts, four beasts and then two beasts, and then finally a beast at the end that seems to be the last, that represents kingdoms. And it speaks of the nations that will come against God and His Christ. But ultimately what is going to happen is they will be defeated. And then in chapter 9, Daniel gives this time frame. And then in chapter 10 through 12, these visions reveal what Daniel has already been told in chapter 2. These successive kingdoms, which we know of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, all leading up to this final conflict with this king of the north that will invade Jerusalem and sets up idols in the temple and exalts themselves of God, this king will suddenly be destroyed. And so, there will be this a time of distress. And it'll be a time of distress that's never happened before in the world and won't be happened, will never happen again. But what will happen in all of it 
is God will be God and God will establish His kingdom and God will deliver His people. And some say, well, that deliverance looks different ways. And we're going to talk about that next week. So let me just say this. This book, the book of Daniel, if you took the book of Daniel as a whole, you could do it with Jeremiah, Isaiah, or Ezekiel because you can see part of the book deals with, a, with judgments on Israel and other nations, and then the other parts of the book deal with the future kingdom and how God is going to establish righteousness and deliver his people. You can see that in them. But the book offers, in these books, and the Word of God offers hope to all future generations. And I think that's something that we can't miss. You know, here is, here is God. He's superintendent over His Word. And we think that it, we see, we see uh, 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 just kind of a two-dimension world and not the way that God sees the world. And so I think the book offers us hope that God will be victorious and we will be victorious in Him. And it describes these oppressive leaders that will arise, but there's going to be their ultimate end. I was telling someone this morning, I said, you know, there is so much craziness going on in our world, but here's what I know. One day, my eyes will see God's fulfillment where he will defeat the nations that have stood against him and he will glorify his people god's going to do that you can have people can talk to me they're blue in the face and i'm just going okay well let's let's just wait this out let's see how this all works out you know because i have this confidence like i said a couple weeks ago how do we know that god's word is true well just look at your own life and how you've come to faith, how he brought you, how you were way away running contrary to, to anything that resembled a follower and how he nudged you and brought you to a place of realizing who he is and how when you've received him as your savior, life has shifted and changed. Your sins don't have power over you anymore. You're living a different life. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And the subsequent things that he's done with your life, that he's promised that he would do and how he's helped you in life. Just in that minute, and it's not minute, but in that little context, can say, I believe. Then you can look back and see all that God has done and we can understand that what God says he will do, he will do. And we can have confidence and we can believe. So there's a pattern and a promise, right? There is this pattern that reveals humans and human beings and their kingdoms. They become, in Daniel's description, is like these violent beasts when they glorify their own power and redefine right and wrong and don't acknowledge God as their true king. It's what they're like. But God's promise is, one day, He's going to confront it all. He's going to confront it all, and he's going to rescue the world. He's going to set it right, and his people, by establishing his kingdom over all the earth, that is going to take place. And I think that's the message that needs to be so central in our lives. You know, there's just some things I can't explain. There's things that I don't know, but here's what I do know. 
I do know that if I can see what God did and what God is doing, and that affirms that in my heart, and I can see those things and know those things, then I don't have to worry about that God is going to do what He said He's going to do in these big ways. He is going to do what He said He's going to do. He's going to set the world right. He's going to establish His kingdom, and He's going to glorify His people. So what we need to do then, what this should encourage us to do, is to be faithful. And I love what Doug said because sometimes we're not. Sometimes we miss it. But that doesn't discount us from getting where we need to go. See, great grace gives us the ability, the power to meet and to become whatever God has asked out of our life. Amen? Father, I do thank you that um, I don't think we ha- it has to be divisive. I think that in the overarching scheme, we need to understand who you are and who we are and what you said you'll do, that you will do. That your promises from eternity past to eternity future, they do not change. There is this, there is this threat of redemption through your story, through humanity, that gives us hope in who you are. So thank you for that. I pray that you'd be just an encourager to our hearts about those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just... Uh...